Welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, her pores are so small that nothing adheres to her face. It's my sister, Marissa. It's a curse, really. Yes. I always think of that um, that Janine Garofalo movie where she talks about wanting a pore enlarged The truth her. about cats and dogs. Yes, because she wants to store loose change in them. <laughs> that movie is underrated. It's great. It's great. So we are talking about episode six of the first season of The Good Place this week because we are finishing up our Guilty Knowledge rewatch of the first season. Before we get into that, we should do some housekeeping uh, very quickly. Uh, You can find us on iTunes and Google Podcasts and also at uh, goodplay.cast.rocks. That's where you can find all of our shows, our, our back catalog. If you missed our finale episode where we sang for like a good half hour, <laughs> please go listen to that. You can also find us on Facebook at The Good Play. We have a group there. You can find us on Twitter at The Good Play Pod. And uh, you can email us at thegoodplaypod at gmail.com. All righty then. That is all of the many ways you can contact us, none of which anyone used about last week's episode. I do have some friends who have texted me about the finale and about our <laughs> oh, about coverage the about okay. the finale and about our coverage of the finale. So if we want to include that in like a listener text mailbag at the end, we could do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Okay, great. I'll I'll get those keyed up then. So as I said this week we're talking about episode six of season one. So do you want to jump into the recap here? Yeah, and it, we should note that it's called What We Owe to Each Other. Yes, that is very important for it's a this running whole theme. show and uh, particularly the finale of season two and the finale of season one. Yes. TBH. Yes. Yes. Oh, you said TBH out loud. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. SMH, Brianna. <laughs> SMH. All right. Episode recap. Yes. So Eleanor has agreed to help Michael figure out what is wrong with the neighborhood. And she is standing in her house, freaking out, looking at the clown portraits, trying to sort of talk herself off of the ledge in a way. And she interrupts her and asks why she's so freaked out. And she kind of brings him and and the viewers up to date on the fact that she has agreed to help Michael figure out what's wrong with the neighborhood, which she thinks is herself, but is actually just Michael forking with all of them. Yeah. Chidi introduces her to the concept of contractualism via the T.M. Scanlon book, What We Owe to Each Other, which is the most important book on this entire show. Yeah. And he gives an example of starting a new civilization and trying to come up with rules, but other people can veto your rules. Eleanor says that her first rule would be nobody can veto her rules, and Chidi just calmly tells her that's called tyranny and it's generally frowned upon. (laughs) Chidi says if you make a promise to someone, then you should follow through on it just like he's doing for her despite your constant mockery and Eleanor goes despite your constant mockery (laughs) oh you love it yes (laughs) see that's why you know when I first watched this I was like oh they're bros because they just mock each other all the time I think that this episode reads very much as Eleanor and Chidi just being friends yeah I agree I don't know when they decided to change tax on that but I'm all for it (laughs) and I have a question about 
the sort of shipper element of this in our discussion section too. Okay. Eleanor's choice here is to break her promise, behave unethically, possibly that being a deciding factor for her being kicked out of the good place, what she thinks is the good place, because that would mean that the neighborhood would continue to have these glitches versus actually help Michael and behave ethically. But then if she actually helps him, you know, maybe he figures out that she is the problem. So she sees, she says she needs to find a way to help him without actually helping him, which Chidi thinks is impossible, but Eleanor thinks she can find a way because Eleanor is devious and Chidi absolutely is not. Yeah. Eleanor goes to Michael's office where he is freaking out. You know, he's got like the the cork board and the and the push pins with the string connecting them like, you know, uh Charlie Day and it's always sunny. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Michael tells Eleanor that he studied the human concept of friendship by watching all 10 seasons of Friends. And we get a lot of Friends references in this episode, which are pretty funny. Although I never really watched Friends. So I did like a little bit lost on me. I did like that. He was like, how did they afford that apartment? And I was like, guess what? I live in New York. They didn't. (laughs) Yeah. Eleanor's like, we were all confused by that too. (laughs) We do get a flashback to Eleanor promising to house it for a friend. I don't think she's even a friend. I bet she's a coworker. Yeah, they don't some, really seem like they're friends. If they were friends, I don't think this woman would have trusted her as far as she could throw her. Right, exactly. So I think this is a coworker who needs to go move her mother into assisted living and asks Eleanor to stay in her house for a week and look after her dog, who is a little medically fragile, which is a terrible idea. And this woman should have picked literally anybody else. <laughs> At Tahani's mansion, Tahani asks Jason for them to go on a spa day together. And he agrees, but then he asks Chidi to come with them because he's a little afraid of... He's a little intimidated by her. He says that she is smart and beautiful like Nala from The Lion King. <laughs> which I don't even know what to do with that. Chidi... We see, a, we see a glimpse of how indecisive Chidi can be when he sort of starts talking aloud his rationale for, you know, should I tell Tahani that she's actually been duped into believing that this guy is her soulmate when he's really, he's really not. But he gets cut off. He doesn't get to dither forever. And he actually does take the step of inserting himself into the Tahani-Jason couple spa day. Back in Michael's office, Michael shows Eleanor his collection of human objects that he is not supposed to have, he says, but he loves them like a bobblehead and a whole bunch of paper clips. Michael says that he thinks there's an object in the neighborhood that is flawed and he wants to examine 78 suspicious rocks. But Eleanor has a brainwave and she says, let's stop working because you're obviously driving yourself crazy and like relax for a little bit. We see the spa is called the good face, which is pretty funny. (laughs) Is it as good as the good play? I don't know. You be the judge. (laughs) Chidi is tagging along with Jason and Tahani. And it's just as awkward as awkward can be. I mean, every step of it is awkward. I don't even know if it's worth going through how every piece is awkward. It's all awkward, guys. We see Michael and Eleanor eating frozen yogurt in the town square. And yeah, you have something in the show notes here how the frozen yogurt was actually Janet's idea. It's because Janet is a genius. Yes. Uh, Eleanor asks Michael why he's obsessed with frozen yogurt. And he says, there's something so human about taking something great and ruining it a little so you can have more of it. And Eleanor says, that is very human. (laughs) She asks him why he needs a human assistant when there are more things like you out there who could be helping you. And he says, architects aren't supposed to live in the neighborhoods they design. And my boss thought I was crazy. And he had a theory that transition would be easier if he were on site for the first thousand years. 
And if this neighborhood doesn't work, I'm in big trouble. Which is technically true, even if he's lying to her about the circumstances around it. Yeah, so you have in the show notes that he wants to be on site because he doesn't want to miss the fun of them being tortured. I thought it was more that he had to be on site to kind of orchestrate the torture. Well, in the... Is it in the finale of the first season when he's talking to the... When he's revealing in the flashback, he's like revealing everything to the middle management guys like Mark Evan Jackson... He says, like, we just make up these neighborhoods and then we go on to the next batch and we don't get to be a part of any of the fun. So that's his stated reason to Sean. So you but think I he's think that Michael's lying. a bit of a control freak and doesn't would not trust the demons that he's hired to be the, his confederates, wouldn't trust them to actually execute the picayune little psychological tortures that he has devised for the four of them. And in fact, some of the torture involves his presence. That's true, too. That's true, too. So maybe that was just a sales pitch and he really does want to be there for other reasons. Yeah, I think he also, I mean, we'll get into this more in discussion, but I, I think he does really have this fascination with humans. Yeah, I think he this does, This love too. of human objects. That he really does, he really does seem to want to make a connection with human beings in this weird way. Yeah, I mean, I have a note about that for our discussion, too, but he watched all 10 seasons of Friends, so I feel like (laughs) he's committed. He's like a method actor. (laughs) So Eleanor takes Michael to what I guess is sort of like a, oh, Dave and Buster's. It has karaoke, skee-ball, claw machine, bowling... Uh, so it's like a, it's like Dave and Buster's, although there's nobody else there, so it's a little bit creepy and it's yeah. low lit. It's a li- it's a little weird, and they sing uh, some so- song that I don't know in karaoke. I don't know it either. At the spa, Janet is massaging Tahani, and Tahani wants to talk to Jason. So Chidi makes sure that he can't by being the one to massage Jason. Although if you actually look at the massage, quote unquote, that Chidi is giving Jason, it's just like random light touches on the back like he doesn't know what to do (laughs) tani tries to get jason to talk about art and says who's your favorite artist and jason says "Uh, i mean pitbull changed the game and made me laugh so hard (laughs) chidi clamps his hand over jason's mouth and says just massaging the oft neglected mandibular area or whatever (laughs) uh eleanor and michael are playing skee-ball and the claw machine they go bowling And Michael says that he understands humans better now because sometimes humans just think about how to have the most fun, which is true. That's why we invented things like skee-ball, which are the best. Yes. We get a flashback to living Eleanor doing her house-sitting gig. Her friend, who we nicknamed Haley during the finale, shows up with floor seats to Rihanna in Vegas. So Eleanor... Gives the dog that she's supposed to be dog sitting access to all of the dry food in the house and tells him only to eat it in case of emergency. And then she says, wow, I'm ready to be a mom, which really, I think you put in the show notes, really bespeaks something about her mother's parenting. Yeah, I was like, oh, she has definitely been left with like just a box of cereal for a weekend. Like that's... I did not have that thought, but you're 100% right. Yeah. And that's so depressing. Yeah. Back at the spa... Tahani's trying to connect with Jason. She gets discouraged and leaves and Chidi tells Jason to step it up. You know, she said she likes impressionist paintings. Come on. And Jason says, oh, I've got an idea. And he leaves and Chidi's like, wait, 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 wait. I feel like 
I feel like we have to ex- discuss this more, but yeah, Jason's he says, gone. Uh, Jason says, say no more. And he goes like, no, I really think I should say more. Yeah. Back in Michael's office, Eleanor and Michael are talking and Michael says Eleanor has helped him forget his problems. Tahani goes to a tea for two couples only tea place. And Chidi's like, are you sure you want to be here? He, he like walks past her while she's sitting out on an outside table. And he says, are you sure you want to be here right now? And he sits down with her and they find out they both love Degas. Um, although she loves France and he does not because they enslaved his country for 300 years. Understandable. Yeah. Wakanda forever. Uh, <laughs> uh, I am seeing that on Monday. When are you I'm, seeing it? I'm seeing it tomorrow night. Ooh. Yeah. No spoilers. I won't. I promise. Okay. The waitress comes up and offers a soulmate muffin special and, and they sort of awkwardly giggle through explaining that they're not soulmates. They're just friends. And this has a bit of a tinge. I think you want to talk about this later, right? This is a bit of yes, a tinge of shipping to me. The next day, Eleanor comes back to Michael's office with more plans to distract him. But Michael says he has good news. He thinks that he says, oh, humans are unpredictable. And this chaos has been unpredictable. So probably it was a human. And Eleanor starts to panic. They go to the town square where Michael asks Janet for a list of everyone who was on garbage duty, and she gives him that, but also everybody who was flying overhead, which is a lot of people. Chidi, meanwhile, finds Jason in his bud hole. He has gotten Tahani a painting of the impressionist comedian, Frank Caliendo, who apparently is the best. Is this a real guy? Yes. Oh, okay. (laughs) Good for him. And obviously Chidi is dismayed by this. Michael and Eleanor are now at the restaurant where the sink hall opened up and he asks Janet for a list of everyone who was at the opening. But Janet says pretty much everyone in the neighborhood was was within a small radius of the restaurant. So he asks Janet for his hoodie and he removes his suit jacket, puts on his hoodie, lies on the floor and goes fetal. I feel like friends in season eight. Out of ideas. Yeah. We flash back one more time to Eleanor. She's run into the woman whose dog she abandoned. And now the dog has to be carried along on a wagon because he is... The woman says bulbous. He is like... He's like a head on... This is obviously CGI, right? He's like a head on... He's like a Jabba the Hutt dog. Yes, exactly. (laughs) The woman really berates her for breaking her promise. And Eleanor does not seem... She's completely unrepentant at all. Yeah. But now we flash to the current day of El- of dead Eleanor, who now does feel contrite, and she promises to help Michael in any way she can. At which point Michael seems to have a brainwave himself, jumps up, tells Janet to call a somber town meeting. Back at Tahani's mansion, Jason gives Tahani a painting of three ballerinas that all look like Tahani. Is that a Degas painting that they've copied? Or is it somebody else? It, uh, yes. It is a well. It's sort of in the style of Degas. Well, there's like there are paintings of like three ballerinas, right? Is that mm-hmm. is that him? Okay. Yeah. Tahani says only my true soulmate could give me such a perfect gift, and and she's all over Jason, saying, you know, you don't speak, but you do things for me. And meanwhile, we know that Chidi actually. I mean, you say he painted it. I mean, he could have easily sort of ordered it from Janet in a sense, right? I thought he painted it because in the conversation that they have at the tea place. He said, I used to take painting lessons as a kid and Degas was always my inspiration. So that's a that's a good point. It just seems like the timeline doesn't work on that, right? I mean, it's this is all happening in the course of 24 or 48 hours. You can't paint a painting like that that quickly. 
I guess if you have nothing else to do. Didn't you take painting classes? Didn't it generally take a little longer to make like an oil painting than it that? It does. It does take oil paintings <laughs> never dry. So yes. Yes. This is what I say. Now you can. I guess you can make it magically dry or whatever, but it doesn't seem like that would be doable by an amateur in you know twenty four hours or whatever. Well, I don't think it was ever really explicitly. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. So Michael stands up to address the town meeting that he's called. He says he's figured out the problem. And Eleanor is sitting there braced. You know, she tells Chidi to keep a hot mailman poster to remember her by. She's sitting there braced to be outed by him. But he says, the problem is in the neighborhood is me. And now I have to leave you forever. And, you know, bam, cut to the Fremulon logo. And that's it. So, I mean, I think the the gut punch of this episode... Now that we know, like, this is a guilty knowledge rewatch, so I think if we were watching this the first time around, we would obviously have a different opinion of of how everything has shaken out. There are some things that I think, looking back on it, we can kind of discuss even, like, I think the having the guilty knowledge makes parts of this episode a little more interesting. Um, So I have a couple of discussion questions, the first one of which is, you know, Michael studied the human concept of friendship in order to get ready for this this experiment. So he kind of knew what he'd been missing out on, right? Like, you know, we know now that he doesn't have any real relationships with anybody else other than the four humans. He doesn't have friends. He doesn't have a life outside of work. He just is at work constantly. So I... There was a part of me that kind of wondered, like, was this part of a... Did he engineer any of this so that they would become friends? Maybe subconsciously. Because you... It's it's hard for... I don't don't buy the theory that Michael could perfectly predict that everything that the humans were going to do. So he... Obviously, we know that when she's... In the next episode, when she admits that she's the problem... He did not know that she was going to do that. But yeah. I would also maintain that he didn't know that she was going to say, let's go play skee-ball or whatever. Yeah. And I think that he really did warm up to her in that Dave and Buster's environment. And she warms up to him. I think one of the things that I liked about this episode, it was a lot of like, she was calling him buddy and friend and stuff. Like, it's the same thing that you hear now when when they talk to each other. But it's the beginning of like, oh, we're becoming more familiar with one another. And I think, you know, that is an interesting thing to look back on. The same way last week we kind of looked back looked back at the Chidi and Eleanor relationship through a different lens. Like, this episode was very Michael and Eleanor heavy. I would argue that the B-plot sort of didn't do much of anything, but... Yeah, actually, I was so... Uh, you know, my five-year-old Leo heard me open the laptop so he curled up next to me and every time they cut away from michael and eleanor he goes wait where's michael yeah <laughs> when, when are they gonna bring back michael and i was like yeah i have to agree with him like the the, the b plot is not as good yeah as the a i mean plot. we not even close yeah we will i think we'll get to that in a second because i sort of have a little bit of a theory but i i don't want to put intentions you know i don't want to I don't want to project intentions onto the writers, but, um, but yeah. So hey, this... the uh, author is dead. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so the um, relationship between Michael and Eleanor 
is the thing that is the focal point of this episode. And, and we see that grow more and more and more in season two. But this was a nice introduction to like, oh, maybe they actually can get along. Like, I think maybe that was... Michael sort of studies the concept of friendship, the human concept of friendship, like a scientist studies dinosaurs. Um, you know, it's a lot of uh, secondhand research, but then actually when he's thrust into a situation with Eleanor, they actually do become friends. I think it's really sweet, actually. The only thing that gives me pause is his position in season two that humans are cockroaches. When they're yeah. doing that episode where Eleanor has to decide whether she's going to join forces with Michael, he makes a big stink. Michael makes a big stink about he can't believe that he has to take Chidi's ethics classes because he's this far superior being and humans are like cockroaches to him. So it's a little tough with that attitude we know in his head to believe that he's really making friends with Eleanor and get it really feels genuine when you watch this episode. It's a bit of a conundrum to me. I agree with you. And I wonder how much of how much of that is posturing for like in season two, where he's saying like, I can't believe I have to, your cockroaches to me and all that stuff. How much of that is posturing or how much of it is him being conflicted and like fighting against what he's learned because we see in I think the penultimate episode of season two when Mark Evan Jackson is saying like you know basically you're a a traitor to the bad place like demon kind yeah Yeah. you're a traitor to to our kind um you know who taught you how to dismember a human or whatever pull a human inside out from their butthole or whatever he says you know it sounds like this is a person who or a being this is a being who has learned to feel one way about another group of people and is learning from his actual interactions with that group of people that they're not the way that he's been taught. And so he's sort of fighting against that. Yeah, it's like, I don't want to get too heavy, but it kind of has the feel of someone who has a prejudice, like a human being who has a prejudice against another group of human beings and then is thrown into a situation with them and kind of can't help becoming their friends or like school integration. Yeah. (laughs) Like, which I know that's extremely serious and this is extremely goofy and I don't mean to make light of real historical injustices, but it does to me have the sort of the scent of this guy who thinks that he's so above these people, but when he's actually forced to be cheek by jowl with them, he can't help but have fun and enjoy himself and make friends with them. Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, I think that's sort of like I'm watching the new uh, Queer Eye on uh, Netflix, and I've heard good things. Oh, I it's love on my it. List. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. It it. I had so many feels. The like, I just watched the first episode. And I was like, I love this already. But part of it is so you know, part of the original show was about which I remember was like a big deal at the time. It was a very big deal, and also part of this show is. You know, we are all like we we're all one human family and, you know, we might have a different sexuality, but, you know, we all want the same things. And like that's so they're a little bit more overt about it in this series. Like at the end of the the first episode, one of the the queer eye guys says like gay or straight, 
or whatever else. Like, we all just want to be loved, right? And so they are going to people who don't have, like, the guy that they make over in the first episode says to one of his friends at the end of it, I've never hung out with gay guys, and they were great, and they had such a great sense of humor, and I made five new friends. Right? Aww. Yeah, I mean, that's why I was Aww. like, <laughs> I feel like I need that in my life right I now. I do, too. <laughs> I think that's why David Collins was like, we we need this. America needs this. But it's the same kind of thing where Michael is saying, I've never hung out with humans. Um, but I mean, it turns- he certainly never had the opportunity, right? Right. And when you when you look at other people as statistics or when you look at other people as, you know, not a part of your community or you don't have the chance to interact with them, right? Like this queer episode, you know, not to say that there are no queer people in Georgia, but it takes place in a small town in Georgia. You know, this, these, they're not a part of this guy's orbit. And Michael has been completely cut off from, he's never had any real interaction with humans. So he went from watching all 10 seasons of friends and thinking that's what, you know, friendship is really like, which you know, not so not much. So much. Um, <laughs> to uh, nor is that what life in New York is like. I can tell you, but to actually having interactions and relationships, I think he's surprising himself all through season one, and that sort of carries over to the beginning of season two because it's season one, the end of season one, um, and the beginning of season two are within the same like five minutes, basically, right? the season two picks up immediately after where season one left off. So it's not as if, you know, I think we're seeing this, this beings uh, evolution and the, the dissipation of his prejudice over real time almost. So I want to hear your, you said that you had a theory, but you didn't want to put anything on the writers. It's and about, I said, the author is dead. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's about, what do you mean when you say that? You know, death of the author. Oh, okay. Um, I thought you meant somebody actually died, and I was really no upset. the you know the theoretical what's this oh boy now I have to Google death of the author oh Roland Bart yeah death of the author cool don't know <laughs> what that is I'll look um I wonder if this episode and I think you know this crops up again in a in a couple of episodes I think later in the first season where there's like a little flirtation of. Tahani and Chidi really being soulmates, right? Um, my question in the discussion section is, were the writers trying to make Chahani happen? <laughs> is that a brand of yogurt? That's Chobani. <laughs> <laughs> but it just felt to me like this episode was a very, like, Eleanor and Chidi are very bro with one another. Yes. And the intimate moment of connection is really between Chidi and Tahani. Yeah. In almost a Cyrano de Bergerac sort of way. Yes. Yes. I mean, so when they're at the, the tea place, the, you know, soulmate cafe or whatever, um, you know, they have this really nice moment. And then when at the end, when she says, Oh, only my true soulmate would get me a gift like this. And we understand that Chidi got her the gift. You know, I wonder if there was sort of this, they were sort of trying to create like a kind of a love triangle or something. And then they just realized that like, you know, the chemistry, what like they didn't want to invest anymore in that chemistry. I don't know. 
I can think of a couple things. One, maybe it was supposed to be a head fake for people who are watching the first time through, think that it's really the good place. And they want to they want you to believe that there's going to be some tension with Chidi and Tahani who are really supposed to be there and maybe actually soulmates versus Jason and Eleanor who are really not supposed to be there and are nobody's soulmate. Yeah, that could be possible. That's thought one. Thought two is that they flirted with the idea, so to speak, but they tried kind of, you know, there's, there's a, there's an episode, a few episodes from now where everybody is sort of skipping between ships themselves. Yeah. (laughs) And, I think that if you actually try to put Tahani and Chidi together, it's like cheese and ice cream. Like, these are two good things that do not belong together (laughs) in any way, shape, or form. That's my opinion. I mean, I kind of think Tahani is impossible for anybody to be in a relationship with because she has all this baggage that she hasn't worked through. I mean, arguably, you could say she's worked through it now by the end of season two. Yeah. But certainly at this point in time, none of the other cockroaches sort of have her emotional baggage. Chidi and Jason seem to have basically no baggage whatsoever. They never really... we, We don't see any of their romantic relationships referred back to. We don't know anything about their parents, all that stuff. Chidi, we do see... Like he's got he, a best friend. Oh, he, you mean the woman that he shares a bed with at one point? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, that's as much as we know about her, that she kind of rolls over and is like, all right, you need to stop being so indecisive. But that's it. Yeah, yeah but he, he said in the last episode that he never really had a serious relationship. So we can infer that she was sort of a more... <laughs> a more casual fling, maybe. Yeah. Friends with the uh, Benz? Maybe. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> And Eleanor, we know, had this complicated home life, and we do see her crying into a plunger at at, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond one time. You can cry all you want, but you're going to have to pay for that plunger. (laughs) But we also get the sense that she has kind of worked through that stuff. That she had this really terrible upbringing, but in the course of the first season of the show, and maybe you could argue various iterations through the reboots kind of comes to terms with who she is and why she is the way she is and really makes strides towards shedding some of the bad things that her parents put on her shoulders. Whereas I would argue Tahani has not done any of that, mostly because for most of the show, she has believed herself to be rightfully in the good place. Eleanor has had to have this introspection because... She's had to come to terms with the fact that she's dead, there's an afterlife, and she is supposed to have gone to hell. But due to what she believes is a clerical error, she has ended up in heaven. So why did I end up going to hell? How could I have made it so that I would have legitimately gotten into heaven? All this stuff that she has to really think about and and be taught. Whereas I would say Tahani, she really has a hard time coming to terms with the notion that she wasn't supposed to have been in the good place in the first place. Yeah, even... When she does learn. Yeah, I mean, multiple times, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, in multiple iterations, she's like, no, this is a mistake. And even, you know, even towards the end, you know, she's still the person who says, like, let's go speak to their manager, right? Like, right. you know... She, she. I believed... want to privilege my way out of this, damn yes, it, just like I... I did in life. Yeah, I think that's a great. I think that's a great point, and I like your analogy about 
Chidi and and Tahani being like cheese and ice cream because I think they are two very good characters, but I don't see them together. Like I don't see them making each other better when they're together. Right. And if she, you know, given if she had, you know, a couple more seasons worth of development, then it's not out of the realm of possibility. I think for the two, I mean, they're both cultured and well-read and attractive. I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that the two of them would eventually end up together, but it would be so much work for Tahani to get to a place where she could be in a relationship that did not involve really, I would say, psychological torture of her partner. (laughs) Yes. And we see that in season two when she's with Jason and they start going to Janet couples counseling, right? That she's very controlling in relationships and she's got a lot of stuff that she, you know, isn't self-aware about and she just kind of waves it off and, and that kind of thing. And I would argue to your point, you know, they're both very cultured and very well read and well traveled and all these things, but it's almost like the things that you want in a partner are not necessarily the things that you need in a partner. Like Absolutely. I, like yeah. I think for her, as weird as it was and as sort of like goofy as it was, having Jason as a partner actually proved to be like really disarming for her because like he was just so straightforward and so sweet and had no agenda at all other than like yeah I want to hang out with you spend time with you like I you know I promise I'll always be nice to you right and we've talked about the fact that like she's never really had that so I think that the things that she's attracted to and Chidi are like oh well we're supposed to be together because we are sort of of the same stature to a degree or the same well I'm not sure that she would consider them to be the same social class. That's probably I kind of don't think she would. But he's closer than Jason is, though. He's closer by a country mile than either Eleanor or Jason. Yeah. So I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, I think that your point of what you think you want in a partner versus what you actually need in a partner is a trenchant one. And and I remember before I ever, you know, my, I didn't have my first boyfriend until I was 20. And I and I remember thinking prior to that happening of the things that I thought that I needed in a partner. And I seem to remember being like, well, he can't be a Yankees fan. Like, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> go but, go uh, Phillies? No? Uh, well, I was in Boston at the time, oh, so right. <laughs> it was a big deal right. to not be rooting for the Yankees. But the things that the laundry list that you have in your head before you actually start dating seriously, and I would argue that Tahani probably has not ever really dated seriously. She's dated for stature. Yes, exactly. The laundry list that you have in your head, Chidi probably fits the bill a lot of that stuff. She says at one point that the men she dated either went to Duke or were a Duke. And Duke was the minimum acceptable school That's and right. also the minimum acceptable uh, royalty title. title. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that, you know, obviously that's a laugh line. I think that Chidi would have checked a lot of her boxes. Mm-hmm. But I think personality-wise, it, it would be an absolute train wreck. And she has all this stuff that she has to deal with before she can ever really have a close romantic relationship. Yeah, I mean, she has, I mean, all her issues with her parents. I mean, that's the way that you become a person who can love and be loved in an intimate context is that you learn how to love and be loved in the family that you were raised in. 
And you said last week something that was like, at least Eleanor's parents occasionally had a glimmer of affection towards her. Like yeah, when her were, mom says, like, you're really cool. Yeah. They were train wrecks. They were neglectful. They were, I think, substance abusers, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Certainly her mom was, and I guess probably her dad was too. But they didn't actively hate Eleanor. I think they... They were just re- self-involved. Yeah, they were self-involved. They kind of resented having this responsibility, but... But I don't think she ever got the sense from from them that she was worthless. She was unlovable. I think she got the sense from them that they were train wrecks of people, which they were. Yeah. Whereas I think Tahani looked at her parents and saw these people who were apparently perfect and had one apparently perfect daughter. And for her to really come to terms with being a lovable person and a person who can love, that's going to take a lot of work. And I also just had a thought that has kind of, like, punched me in the gut, and you see how it hits you. Now I understand why pairing Tahani with somebody who doesn't talk to her is such a problem for her. Oh my god, yes. Because her parents never talk to her. Her sister never talks to her. She's been ignored by her family her entire life. And so the biggest torture you could give her is somebody who, this is your soulmate, and they're essentially going to ignore you the same way that your parents and your sister ignored you. Right. We we see it in season one initially as almost like a punchline because she tries to be silent and she can only maintain it for like six tenths of a second. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. Oh, that was to, so uh, cleansing. Yes. Right. And, we, and it's supposed to be funny. Haha, she's a chatterbox. But it's not that she's a chatterbox. It's, it's exactly what you say. It's, she's desperately trying to make a connection with this person who is actively ignoring her that is the mirror image of what happened to her on earth yeah uh, yeah. (laughs) in some ways it's funny tahani in some ways had the easiest childhood of the four of them she certainly had far and away the most money we know that eleanor and jason were just scraping by for a lot of their lives and we know that chidi certainly he came from a country that you know, was feeling the effects of colonialism. Right, did not have the resources. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he did. So in some ways, Tahani had it the easiest in terms of, like, she never wanted for anything material. But in some sense, she had it the worst, because she definitely had the worst parents. She super did have the worst parents. Super, super did have the worst parents. Yeah, that is... Ugh. I'm sort of seeing this whole torture set up in like a completely new way now. <laughs> <laughs> Michael knew what he was doing. Yeah, I mean that's sort of the scariest part is that you is that it's I think you're right. It's so often played for laughs and like Jason as a character is such a ding dong that it so often gets played for laughs but like you know we already know that his torture is he has to pretend to be somebody he's not, which we see, you know, got him in trouble uh, when he tried to be Acid Cat or whatever, and the, <laughs> and then he ended up blowing up somebody's speedboat. But you to- make it sound like he could not have possibly helped himself in the blowing up of somebody's speedboat, but that was a, <laughs> that was a choice he made. Yeah, that was a choice. Well, yeah, um, but you know. The, the torture for Tahani is that, like, we're just going to put you in this situation where you have, again, she wants for nothing, as you say oftentimes, like, this is a post-scarcity uh, environment. So she wants for nothing. She's got this big, gorgeous house. Everybody in the neighborhood loves her. But the one person 
that she is meant to have this, you know, strike up this really meaningful relationship with, he won't talk to her. Now that we are talking about Tahani Moore, who, she's not my least favorite character, but she's not my favorite character. Mm-hmm. Elnor and Chidi are obviously my favorite characters because they're the best. But but now that we're talking about her more, I really want the show to get into her more. I, I want her to have... She, she just was starting at the end of season two to maybe be vindicated a little bit. Yeah. To maybe come to a place where she could be self-actualized. And I really want that for her. I think that Tahani's story is sort of the tragedy of the poor little rich girl. And maybe more than the other three, she has never really known love. And that is a really really hard thing to swallow for yeah. especially for a comedy and i would love for her to and now i don't know how this works so we don't have any idea what's actually going to happen next season no no idea <laughs> at all in any way shape or form but i would love for her to have a real relationship with i would i i think at this point the other three cockroaches are kind of off the table i i don't think that you know she has sort of torn through all three of them in a sense she thinks Chidi is her soulmate in a couple more episodes from now. Uh, she's paired with Eleanor in one of the rotations. Um, and obviously she has this long relationship with Jason. None of those worked out. We don't see the thing with Eleanor, but we have to assume it didn't work out. Yeah. Um, I I would love for her to get a Derek of her own, although yeah. hopefully... <laughs> hopefully... With a working uh, genitalia? <laughs> well, for starters. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I would just love for her to find, and I don't know what this is going to be, you know, if it's going to be in her simulation slash rewinded real time, we still haven't decided. Or if it's going to be like some demon that Michael pulls into the fold or like whatever. But like, I really want her to make it through this psychological hell that her parents kind of locked her in and and burst out of it and come out the other side like a confident. And she is, I mean, look. She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. There's, oh my there's god. There's no two ways about it. So I want her to have the the confidence and the emotional health to go along with her extreme physical beauty. <laughs> it's like it's her almost ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, interestingly, we see this at the beginning of season 2. Interestingly, if that guy from basically Doctors Without Borders had been real, he may he may have been a good fit for her. Like I think he was in, in a weird way. They gave her the right partner at the wrong time because he is altruistic and well traveled and thoughtful and like a really nice guy, but you know doesn't care about material things and doesn't dress well and is shorter than her. And at the beginning of season two, because she's still so. Locked um, into this prestige lifestyle. She can't handle it. And that's, it's, I mean, again, it's played for laughs, right? But it, that is her torture is, um, you know, we're going to put you with somebody who doesn't meet your standards. And this is going to be, you know, funny. But in a weird way, it's like, there's a part of me that wishes that that guy actually existed. Yeah. Because you, I would love to see her... Having gone through all the growth that she's gone through, I would love to see her with somebody like that now where she can appreciate him more. Now, granted, we don't know at the end of season two, we don't know what all these characters are going to retain from their time in the 
good place slash bad place. So when we see her again mm. in season three, is she going to be just this sort of vainglorious monster person like she was? God, I hope not. I hope not, too, because we will have lost all of that, all of the uh, progress. You know, I think at the end of season one, Eleanor had made a lot of progress, but most of the other characters hadn't, right? Because uh, Yeah, we were... I, would, I would say even Chidi made minimal progress. Yeah, so what we were focused on at the end of season one, and, you know, we'll certainly talk about that more when we get there, what we were focused on at the end of season one, when we realized that everything has gone back, what uh, has been rebooted, uh, was that Eleanor, we were so frustrated that Eleanor was going to be the same person and we were going to have to watch her go through this all over again. Now, obviously, season two threw a whole bunch of curveballs our way. But in season two, it's a pretty, pretty steady growth for, I would say, most of the characters. Tahani, yeah. Tahani being chief among them. And so... Now we're sort of faced with the, oh, nobody remembers. And so all these people who have come this far have to, are they starting over or what? (laughs) Yes, exactly. So what, changing tax a little bit. Yeah. What is Michael's... Deal? No, like what's his plan? So it's made a big deal out of how he thinks, he doesn't realize that Eleanor is going to step in and I guess it doesn't happen in if it happens in the next episode it happens at the end of the next episode yeah because next episode is all about how they try to prevent his retirement by killing Janet right that's the eternal shriek right right but what what is what is what does what does Michael want to happen here so he doesn't want Eleanor to confess that she is not supposed to be there because he is shocked and dismayed when she does that we find out at the end of season one yeah so what does he want to happen? That's a really good question. I don't know that I don't know that I know the answer to that. He surely he can't think that he can pull off 10,000 years or whatever of well, I'm the problem, but my boss says I should stay here just for a little while to see or you know what I mean? Like what is he actually trying to accomplish? Well, we know now that he knows that, you know, Eleanor is the problem and he's constructed this sort of elaborate system of torture. It's not that Eleanor is the problem. It's that there is no problem. Oh, Everything is yes. happening the exact way it's supposed to. Right. But we know that he knows that Eleanor thinks she's the pro- problem. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, we know that he is the puppet master behind the scenes for all this. It could be... Because you're right, like, we know that he doesn't expect her to out herself. It could be that he wanted to kind of sow some discord between Chidi and Eleanor. Yeah, but, I mean, was his plan to say, I'm the problem, I have to be retired, they're going to ladle my soul onto hot diamonds, and then leave? Maybe he thought Chidi was going to out Eleanor. Okay. Like, maybe, maybe... Because Chidi does have that moment in this episode where he says, like, is it ethical of me to, like, keep my mouth shut about Jason, you know, with Tahani, knowing what I know? Maybe he was banking on Chidi saying, I can't in good conscience let you be retired when I know what the real problem is. Yeah, that's plausible. I then, I I guess it's impossible to know what Michael's plans were much beyond that. 
But I think, you know, we talked about this a lot at the beginning of season two, where Michael is like burning through plot in a sense. (laughs) He's burning through tortures. He is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it always felt like, okay, just take your foot off the gas. Let this unroll itself a little bit slower. And you could actually make this last for a thousand years versus eight months. Yeah. And it kind of feels like that again here where I don't, I don't know how he could have kept this going or how he imagines he would have been able to keep it going for a millennium. Well, and that's interesting because like, maybe this is just him sort of showing that he's a novice at this. Like he has this idea, but he doesn't have the experience necessarily to be practiced at the art of emotionally torturing people. (laughs) He does have me. He tells Vicky at one point, like, oh, in 800 years, there's going to be a subplot where Chidi accidentally kills your cat. Yeah. So So he has a plan. That's in season two, right? Yes. Yeah. So that's in the reboot. I always assumed that, you know, because we keep seeing the same thing over and over again, the cocktail party, the shrimp, the chaos sequence. I always kind of assumed that he had a blueprint that he didn't much stray from. Mm, Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thing because it's kind of like, it's kind of like this commentary on writing or or producing a play or something and versus like doing an improv show. Like he, if he, (laughs) if your thing is that, if, if your point earlier was that Michael is too much of a control freak to, to trust that people are going to properly torture these people without him around. I think that's true. Yeah. Then that would actually make sense that, you know, he thinks that he's got everything under control. He's got this script that he doesn't deviate from. And then when Eleanor says, actually, I'm the problem, then it throws a monkey wrench into the works and he's just panicking. Indeed. I don't know. I was just... No, that's a good point. I... We're just watching and thinking, like, what does he want to have happen here? And I couldn't really come up with a yeah. with a good outcome from him telling everybody that he was going to go be retired. Yeah, I mean, I think that's also the difference between, like, like I said before about the Guilty Knowledge rewatch, is that when you're watching this the first time, you think Michael is this, like, really sweet, affable guy Per, you know, being, I guess I should say. That As it, Eleanor calls him the supernatural or- Orville Redenbacher. Yes. Who you're genuinely worried that he's going to take the fall for something that is Eleanor's fault. And she becomes genuinely worried about that too. As do Chidi and, you know, the rest of the cockroaches. But, you know, looking back on it, it does sort of seem you're like, oh, well, if you had this plan the whole time, then like, what gives? <laughs> like why couldn't you just let eleanor dangle like why not stretch yes exactly i mean he should have made this investigation between the two of them go for a hundred years you know like well first we're gonna have to examine every rock i mean what would eleanor like less than having to simultaneously do schoolwork with chidi and basically homework with michael of examining every item in their universe oh you're right Like, today we're going to row around the entire lake and we're going to examine every fern on the bank. And while we're examining every fern, like, tell me about yourself. (laughs) I mean, that would have made Eleanor cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Yeah, I think she would have just confessed at a certain point. (laughs) If I have to look at one more... (laughs) 
one more grain of sand, I am going to lose it. If I have to put one more bug under a microscope for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think she probably just would have. So that makes me, yeah, that is a really good point. <laughs> Why not make this go on for a hundred years? Yeah, I think that we have a bias of seeing Michael as really, really competent because when you watch the season one finale, you're like, oh, I can't believe this whole thing. And he picked these people perfectly and he's torturing them so well. And that's all true. But then if you really look hard at some of his plots, it's like, he's not. A, well, that yeah. was that was dumb. <laughs> like maybe he's a great sort of orchestrator, but he's not the best at like maybe he's a great director, but he's not a great actor. Right. It's, it's sort of like strategy versus tactics. Right. It's like he's got this big picture view and this really bold vision. But then when it comes to the day-to-day nitty-gritty, he's like, uh, panic, panic. Okay, I'm going to curl up on the floor in a hoodie now. (laughs) (laughs) I did wonder about that, too. I mean, it was obviously played for laughs because it was like a little callback to a Friends reference. But, you know, it's weird that his torture in that sense of, like, torturing Eleanor by... He knows that she know that she knows it's her, and you know he's just sort of toying with her. It seems like, but it's sort of interesting that in this case, the torture of him being like, "Oh, I'm so dejected, and I give up, and I'm such a failure," actually makes her a better person. Yeah, <laughs> it actually well, makes so, but, her a better person. Yes, but let's remember, he doesn't think that's physically possible. That's right. That's a big thing at the end of season two. Like he. The, the received wisdom amongst demons is that the soul is like ethically locked in on the moment of death. So he, the, he, he that would not even figure into his calculations You're of right. like, if I guilt trip her, she might like, uh, like he, there's no way for her to actually get better. You're right. You're totally right. Cause I was watching this going like, if this is all an elaborate ruse and he's just toying with her, he's like kind of playing cat and mouse with her a little bit. You know, then it backfired, but you're right to say that, like, he doesn't even, it doesn't even enter into the equation for him that it would backfire. Right. Wow. I really think that Michael Shore wrote, like, a real show Bible <laughs> for this show because there's a lot of stuff. Now, again, like, I've had my, I've certainly had my fair share, more than my fair share, one might say, of complaints about how exactly the metaphysics of this has worked. But when it comes to, these sort of character interactions, I don't think there's ever really been a misstep. No, I agree. Because even the things that we were kind of getting sick of towards the end of season two turned out to have a purpose. So yes, exactly. I think all of this is is uh, very carefully calibrated, much like every blade of grass in the good place. <laughs> Which we will now stare at with a, mic- with a magnifying glass <laughs> for 2,000 years. Yes. I love how he had all the rocks on his desk. I love that he was like, oh, I forgot you can't see in nine, nine dimensions. And then is like batting away imaginary threads, which it's actually hard to say if those were imaginary or invisible. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if he was just forking with her or if he honestly had filled the room with ninth dimensional. I think um, he can detritus. see in nine dimensions. <laughs> oh, no, he can. But he's not actually in this state of paranoia and. Oh, you're right. Overwhelmedness. So you're right. You're right. That's really funny that he, like, that morning was like, all right, I got to look really disheveled. Wait, let me just grow out my stubble real quick. <laughs> yeah, his stubble grew out really fast. Yeah, I, 
<laughs> maybe he can do that supernaturally. Maybe, maybe. Okay, I gotta look real grizzled today. <laughs> no bow tie for me. <laughs> oh, I think those are. I think that's all my thoughts about this episode. Yeah. Did you want to read your texts from yeah, your friends? Yeah, so um, a friend of mine texted me and said that, uh, he said, I watched the, season, the Good Place season finale. Uh, it was great. And then he said, I think it's a construct. I'm super pumped to either be proven wrong in an interesting way or vindicated. <laughs> and then I said, what makes you think it's a construct? Because I'm doing some investigatory journalism <laughs> for our You're podcast. like, you're practically Aaron Brockovich. I Wait a minute. Pra- no. No, you're uh, practically Katie Couric. Thank you. Yes, I'm you're the practically Katie Couric of this podcast. He said, "I think that it's a construct because of how they're handling the concept of time." Which did this? Uh, speaking as Brianna, this did not occur to me last time we talked about this. He says, "The fact that Michael and Janet are presented as though no time has passed makes me think that in reality, no time has actually passed. Also, there are too much. There's too much to the idea." of the redo too many quote butterfly effects that would need to be accounted for which marissa was yeah something that was that my that was my out. big concern yeah then he said i think it's mental simulations of each person this is how they would have proceeded in life given knowledge of one another slash their time in the bad place and i said i agree with what you're saying except that they don't have any knowledge of each other or remember their time in the good slash bad place unless you think it's an eternal sunshine thing which we talked about and yeah. he said, I think that's definitely what it is. They're going to remember each other. Interesting. Yeah. If they start having dreams or something, that would be real interesting. That would be really interesting. But I think he's right that, well, so he, he, but he's talking about how for Janet and Michael, they're sitting in a room and it's as though no time has passed. I mean, to be fair, they are eternal, eternal beings who don't yeah. need to eat or sleep. And so for them to sit in a room for years or whatever is like no big deal. That's true. I mean, Michael was about to be locked in a room for eternity with a stack of New Yorkers. <laughs> That's true. But it is... I-, I thought that was an interesting thing that it didn't seem... Maybe it's like in space where the the time on Earth passes differently than the time in space. You know. That's if, not a thing. If you're traveling in space, don't you... Oh. Sp- age sp- differently? The... the mm. Passage of time as you get closer to the speed of light. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm not an astrophysicist. I apologize. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the Neil deGrasse, deGrasse Tyson, Tyson to come and yell at you. <laughs> <laughs> he also, and then he also said, you know, we had talked about this, I think, when we were originally talking about season one, but there was some, there was some little jokes that made it seem like Eleanor lived at the same time that Parks and Recreation was happening. Yes. Uh, and he said, honestly, the Jean Ralphio champagne was more of a construct move, which is Jean Ralphio is one of my favorite characters from Parks and Rec. And apparently there was a champagne or an ad for something that was his creation. Yes, this was making the rounds of like AV Club and whatnot. Yeah. That, But we had already seen the Jason Manzoukas character. Feinstein, yeah. Uh, make an appearance in Eleanor's world. So we already know that it's a shared universe. So I don't think that that proves anything one way or another. Yeah. And then another, my friend Kate, shouts to Kate. Shouts to Kate. Was like, I'm finally catching up on your end of season two episode. And she thought it was hilarious that we were singing. She's like, what was with you guys? Were you just, you know, punch drunk? And I was like, yes. And then she said, (laughs) uh, she loves Doctor Who. So she loved your analogies. She said it's spot on. Oh, thank you, Kate. 
See, I have friends who, you know, <laughs> come through for you when I don't. <laughs> Did she have any uh, any thoughts about the simulation versus rewinded time debate? No, I watched it with her. I watched the season finale with her. And she was the one who was sort of like, are they going to have to all die again at the same time in order to be mm. brought back? So that might be another, like, nod that this is a simulation. Because if it's real life, then they'd have to all be brutally murdered at the same time again <laughs> yeah which would be i think now pleasant. that now that we know them i think it's probably a, a tougher pill to swallow <laughs> yeah i don't need to see another air conditioner fall on cheaty ever no, again no ever again no thank you no 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 also do you ever think about that friend who had to get married a week after that jesus yes i do think about that friend who spent his like final days being like cheaty oh you can't make a decision and then he dies like no thanks. in front of him yeah yeah no thanks man mm. really unpleasant maybe we'll see him again in the yeah construct. we probably will we probably will maybe cheaty gets to go to the wedding this time and and be a maybe eleanor goes as as cheaty's plus one to this it's wedding been a year oh yeah the wedding has long passed oh yeah that's right well, I'm interested to see what they do. But that yeah. was just one theory. So if you guys have any theories, get at us. As always, you know, tweet at us, email us, skywrite. You can just skywrite in the skies of Brooklyn and Brianna will see it. Not today. It's pretty cloudy, but, you know, most <laughs> most days. You On know, a clear day, you can see forever. Or just, you know, like, leave a note on the subway or something like that (laughs) you know yeah that's not creepy at all no (laughs) creepier things have happened on the subway (laughs) oh yes they have (sighs) all right are we wrapping up yeah just um programming note next week is wakanda forever hashtag wakanda forever (laughs) we will i am seeing black panther tomorrow you are seeing it in two days so our episode next week will be uh black panther so just be prepared for like the outro to be like a Kendrick Lamar track or something. <laughs> I don't know enough about modern hip hop. My we, knowledge really stops in like 2005. But we have the, you know, they have the soundtrack. We yeah, can I'll just do some research. That, I guess we'll figure it out. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm so excited for this movie. I follow a woman on Twitter who was like, my teenage son gave this movie a 13 out of five stars. Oh, uh, yeah. Jumo Aloo. Yeah. I, I think I might be mispronouncing her name. But yeah. yeah. Lindy West's sister-in-law. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm so stoked. I'm yeah, so super, stoked. For super movie. excited. Okay. Well, until next time, uh, keep your eyes peeled for any suspicious rocks. Until next time, ding-dongs. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Well, let's see how it works having a guest. What's the matter? What's the matter? No kvetchy baby. No kvetchy baby. Mommy doesn't like kvetchy babies. Mommy will throw kvetchy babies into the ocean.
Yeah, into the ocean. Yeah. Ocean, 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 ocean.